0: Once upon a time in Western Australia a hundred years ago a young man lived with his father in a cottage in a forest. The young man was called Midnight, at least that's what I'm going to call him because that's what he called himself later on when he was famous. Midnight's mother had died when he was quite young and he and his father lived all alone. His father had once been a sea captain and had brought home lots of shells and coral and carved boxes and little elephants and that sort of thing, as well as a very wise and handsome Siamese cat, called Cat. Cat had blue eyes and mostly cream-coloured fur, with a coffee-coloured tail and a coffee-coloured mask on his face, a bit like a bank robber. Besides Cat, there were four other animals living with Midnight and his father, There was a rather silly cow called Dora, who was not nearly so young as she thought she was. There was a very tall and noble-minded horse called Red Ned, with a strawberry-coloured body and a pale mane and tail. There was a cockatoo called Major, because he was a Major Mitchell cockatoo, which is hard to describe to anyone who has not seen a Major Mitchell cockatoo, but if you have seen what the clouds look like when the sun is coming up, then you can imagine the colour of Major's best feathers. Last of all, there was a young sheepdog called Jip, who was always laughing and frowning at the same time, because he was never sure whether he was doing the right thing. One day, Midnight's father became ill, and soon afterwards he died. It's sad to have to begin a story like this, but that is what happened, and this is a true story so Midnight was left alone in the world with his five animals. This made him very sorry and lonely, and for a long time he did nothing except sit on the veranda all day, whittling sticks with his pocket knife and thinking sad thoughts. Sometimes a tear ran down his cheek, and when the young sheepdog Jip saw this, he cried out loud. Day after day, Midnight sat there, whittling sticks, And forgetting to cook his dinner one day a voice said to him don't you think it's dinner time i'm not hungry said midnight aren't you said the voice i am midnight went on whittling as if he'd not heard but after a while he began to wonder who it was who'd spoken to him for he was sure that he'd never known anyone with a Siamese accent. He looked round at Cat, who was sitting beside him. Did you speak to me? Midnight asked. I did, said Cat. I didn't know you could talk. You've never talked before. There was nothing to talk about, Cat yawned. How peculiar. Midnight went on whittling frowning with thought. This is the place to tell you some things about Midnight that make him different from most heroes in books. One of these things you may have guessed already. It is that Midnight was not very clever. In fact, he was rather stupid, though even Cat forgave him this because he was so good-natured. Another thing is that he was not very handsome not nearly so handsome as Cat or Major or Red Ned, and he always needed a haircut. But he had nice blue eyes, white teeth, and a brown smiling face. It's hard to decide whether to call him a young man or a boy, and he was not sure himself which he was, but he thought that he was probably a young man. He was 17 and had begun to use his father's razor, though to tell the truth... He had hardly any whiskers to shave off with it, and Cat used to laugh at him when he pretended Cat was a rather superior person and had splendid whiskers. Well, midnight went on whittling and thinking, and Cat went on looking at him. After a while, Cat said, You are sad. Yes, said midnight. I'm sad because I have no father and no money and... Nothing in the world except this house and this orchard. And me, said Cat. Uh, And you, of course. Let us have dinner, and then we can talk about money. So Midnight went into the kitchen and cooked the dinner, and they ate it on the veranda, so that Jip and Major and Red Ned and Dora could listen to the conversation. Now... "'said Cat, when he'd finished his dinner and was enjoying a saucer of tea. "'What are your plans?' "'I have no plans,' said Midnight, looking sad. "'If I were you, I should be a bush ranger.' "'Would you really?' "'I should call myself Captain Midnight, "'which is a fine name for a bush ranger.' but I should spell it M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Why? asked Midnight. Because that is more fierce and romantic. There's nothing romantic about good spelling. Well, that is an interesting plan, but what does a bushranger do? He bushranges horses and... Cattle and sheep, and he holds up people's coaches and takes their money and their watches all their lives. But money and watches are more usual. If I bush range horses and cattle and sheep, where am I to put them? People would come looking for them. You must have a secret hideout. And I know the very place. Oh, do you mean the Hidden Valley? Of course. Nobody knows how to find it, except us. Well, that's a very interesting plan. Midnight looked much happier. When shall we start being bush rangers? Why not tomorrow? We can take all the pots and pans, things that we need, and we can live in the caves of the Hidden Valley quite comfortably. Cat, you are a very wise and handsome cat, and you can sleep in my bed forever after, so long as you don't wash your face all night. Thank you. That is exactly what I was going to do. The next day, midnight saddled Red Ned and tied the pots and pans and food and blankets to the saddle and they all set off for the hidden valley. The valley was like a great big paddock and was a very secret place indeed. The steep rocky hills closed it in on three sides and on the fourth side was a river with red cliffs on the far bank of it. They were not cliffs of rock but cliffs of red earth and they looked very pretty when the sun shone on them. The only way into the valley was through a gap in the hills, so narrow that it only needed a gate across it to shut in the valley completely and make it like a fenced field. In the side of the hills were big caves with rather clever paintings on the walls, made by the black people long ago. When midnight had come to the biggest and most comfortable of these caves, Kat said, ''Let us stop here.'' "'and make this cave our hideout.' "'Very well,' said Midnight, "'and before long they had turned the cave into quite a nice sort of house.' "'Now,' said Cat, "'you must make a gate across the track into the Hidden Valley, "'so that when we've bush-ranged our horses and cattle and sheep, "'they will not be able to get out again.' All day, Midnight laboured, building the gate, and when the sun was setting and the grass was glowing very green and the cliffs across the river were glowing very red, the gate was finished. Leave it open, said Cat, and come back to the cave and let us have supper. While they were having supper, Midnight noticed that his animal friends, Red Ned and Jip and Major and Dora, had all disappeared. Where have they gone? he asked Cat. They are preparing a surprise for you. Don't ask questions, but clean your teeth and go to bed, and in the morning you will be most astonished. Midnight was a bit annoyed at being told to clean his teeth by a cat, but he did it and went to bed and was soon fast asleep. In the morning he was awakened by a voice whispering, Captain Midnight, in his ear. What is it? Midnight asked sleepily, when he'd opened his eyes and seen that it was Cat who was whispering, Get up and close the gate. The surprise is here. Midnight got up, rubbing his eyes, and walked out of the cave. And then he certainly was most astonished. There was a white mist rising from the grass and the river, and in the mist he saw thirteen horses and thirty-one head of cattle and seventy-six sheep. Where did they come from? Midnight asked, staring. Go and close the gate, and I will explain to you on the way. First of all, Cat told him about Dora. The thing to remember about Dora is that she was an extremely aggravating cow, and she knew it. She went to where she knew the cattle were, and waited quite a long way from them, until she knew that they'd seen her. Then she started jumping around and chasing her tail and behaving in the silliest way, all the while pretending that she didn't know that they knew that she knew that they were watching. She pretended that she was having a great old time all by herself, which is a very aggravating sort of showing off. After a while, all the cattle started murmuring to each other. At first they murmured that it was sad to see the poor silly thing carrying on like that at her age. But as Dora only went on getting sillier and more aggravating, they began to murmur, Mmm, let's rush up and butter in the ribs. Soon they started to galumph towards her, and when they came near, Dora galumphed off into the bush. They galumphed for miles and miles and miles, and whenever the cattle lost sight of Dora, she waited for them and then jumped out of the bush and aggravated them again. The cattle became so angry that they hardly knew where they were going, and at last they chased Dora right through the open gate into the hidden valley. Next, Cat told Midnight about Red Ned. The thing to remember about Red Ned is that he was a very tall and noble-minded horse, and when he went out to bush range horses for Midnight, he did it in quite a different way from Dora. He went to the place where he knew the horses were, and he just stood there, looking noble. After a while, all the horses were so impressed and so curious that they couldn't eat or do anything except stare at Red Ned and wonder who he was. Bit by bit, they began to come closer to him, and as soon as they did, Red Ned walked on. They followed, and he walked, he walked, and they followed, until at last they came through the open gate into the hidden valley. Then Red Ned said a few noble-minded things to them, and they decided to stay in the Hidden Valley forever after. Thirdly, Cat told Midnight about Jip. The thing to remember about Jip is that he was always frowning and smiling at the same time, and looking worried and wondering whether he was doing the right thing. He looked like this because he was a sheepdog. All sheepdogs have this look, and if you've ever seen a dog rounding up one sheep or two sheep, you will know why. It's easier for a dog to drive one or two lions than one or two sheep, because at least lions have brains and some idea of where they want to go. A sheep is the stupidest animal in the world, and hardly an animal at all, more like a sort of walking cotton bush. However, when Jip went to Bush Range Sheep for midnight, He bush-ranged 76 of them, and it is much easier to drive 76 sheep than one or two. So he was able to bring them into the hidden valley without too much trouble. Though, of course, being sheep, they jumped over invisible objects all the way and behaved very childishly. All these things Cat explained to Midnight while they were walking to the gate and closing it. As they were going back to the cave a fat white duck and twelve yellow ducklings came out of the grass and ran away from them. I've been busy making plans for the others, said Cat modestly, and I have only had time to bush range one duck and her ducklings. Oh, said Midnight in a thoughtful voice, so everybody's been busy except Major and me. When Major heard Midnight say that, The crest on his head stood up with rage, and he screamed. The thing to remember about Major is that he was always flying into terrible rages. Perhaps he knew that when he was bad-tempered, he looked extremely handsome. For when his crest was standing up and his wings were flapping, he showed all his most beautiful feathers. Major has been busy too, said Cat and he led Midnight to the box where Major had hidden all the things that he'd bush-ranged. In the box were rings and watches and brooches and a silver christening mug and a great deal of money, as well as a few things that Major had bush-ranged for himself, such as buttons and clothes pegs and a piece of mirror and a picture of Queen Victoria in five colours. "'I'm sorry, Major,' said Midnight. "'You have worked very hard.' After making this apology, Midnight sat down in front of the cave and began to whittle a stick with his hair falling in his eyes. You're sad, said Cat. Not very, just a little. You ought not to be sad. You are a most successful bushranger. Yes, but I've done nothing myself. It's all been done for me. Cat sat and thought, and after a while... He began to purr. What have you thought of? asked Midnight. We will hold up a coach and rob the passengers, and that will make you famous. Will they write about me in the newspapers? I should think they would. I should think they would make up songs about you, too. People are always making up songs about bushrangers. Perhaps they'll put me into a book. Midnight was growing excited. I should not be surprised, said Cat, turning his wise blue eyes into wise blue slits as he tried to look into the future. I think I see somebody a hundred years from today sitting at a typewriter making up a book called Midnight. What's a typewriter? asked Midnight. It is a machine for writing books. People living a hundred years from today will be preposterously lazy. Even though Midnight was 17, he wasn't very clever. So it was just as well when he first tried his hand at bush ranging that his Siamese cat went with him. One morning, His Honour, Mr Justice Pepper, or Judge Pepper, as he was called for short, put on his long curly wig made of horse hair and his long robes and packed his little hammer in his little suitcase and got into a mail coach. Judge Pepper's job was to send people like bushrangers to the great grey jail by the sea and the hammer was for banging on his bench with to stop people from laughing in court. Judge Pepper was a fat red-faced shiny man with a fat shiny watch and chain. He was very bad-tempered and he was going in the coach to a country town to sentence a few people to spend years and years in prison. There was another person in the coach with Judge Pepper, and his name was Trooper O'Grady. It's not easy to describe Trooper O'Grady. He was a rather tall, thin man with the sort of face that got lines on it when he laughed, and he laughed a lot. He was a very popular man, and even Judge Pepper didn't hate him although he was quite young for a grown-up, only twenty-four, and Judge Pepper usually did hate young people. Judge Pepper said that he was very polite, which was true, but there were other things about Trooper O'Grady that the judge had not thought of. A trooper is a kind of policeman who usually rides a horse, and what the judge had never considered is that a policeman who is always mixing with people who steal and that sort of thing might come to learn bad habits from them. There was another thing, too, that the judge had never considered, and that is that a young man who had already learned bad habits might feel safer if he became a policeman. The coach rattled away through the town, and Judge Pepper made a joke now and then, and Trooper O'Grady laughed heartily, which showed what a polite young man he was. When they came to the hills, Trooper O'Grady got out and walked to make the coach lighter for the horses. As he walked along, he talked and made jokes with the driver, and the driver said to himself, What a nice chap. When they were about twenty miles from the town and were going up a very steep hill, a voice called out of the bush, Stand and deliver your money or your lives. Who said that? demanded the judge, sticking his red face out of the coach window. A bush ranger, your honor, said Trooper O'Grady. That is what they always say. Well shoot him. You shoot him, sir. My pistols are inside the coach with you. Throw the pistols to me, snarled the voice in the bush. Are you are a dead man? That's curious, murmured Trooper O'Grady. The voice has a soyumese accent don't make personal remarks snapped cat for of course it was cat stand with your hands above your heads and if i catch anyone not shivering in his shoes he's in trouble trooper o'grady and the driver put up their hands while judge pepper still stared from the coach From being a red-faced shiny man, he'd turned into a white-faced shiny man. "'Throw me the pistols, Judge Pepper,' called Cat, "'or I'll tear out your heart and eat it.' "'No, no!' Judge Pepper threw the pistols into the bush. "'Have pity on me. I've a great aunt and eleven cousins in Wagga Wagga.' "'Let them beware,' said Cat, with a blood-curdling laugh. Now, Judge Pepper, get out of the coach and stand beside Trooper O'Grady with your hands up. The judge got out as he was told, though his knees were shaking so much that he could hardly walk, and he stood in line with Trooper O'Grady and the driver. Our leader is coming to rob you, said Cat. If any one of you moves, he is a Dead man. You've already said that, remarked Trooper O'Grady. Keep a civil tongue in your head, O'Grady, snarled Cat, or I will nail it to a tree. Suddenly there was a thunderous crash, and out of the thick bush bounded a tall and noble-minded horse with a long-legged bushranger on his back. The bushranger dismounted and strode towards Judge Pepper. He had a red handkerchief over his face, hiding everything except his blue eyes, and he held one of Trooper O'Grady's pistols in his right hand. "Um, your money or your life?" he asked Judge Pepper rather shyly. "Oh, my money, of course," said the judge, shaking from head to foot. "Give me your purse, then," said the bushranger. "And your watch and chain," called Cat from the bush. Oh, and your watch and chain, repeated the bushranger, going red in the tops of his ears. The judge pulled out his fat purse and his fat watch and gave them to the bushranger, who put them carefully in the pocket of his coat. The driver, meanwhile, had been counting the loose chains that he kept in his trousers' pocket, and he said to the bushranger, Four and tuppences, let me use here might mate. ''Oh, no,'' said the bushranger, embarrassed. ''No, you keep it. Well, ''You can have it, mate, if you need it. I wouldn't want to leave you short.'' ''Hold your tongue,'' Cat called to the driver, ''or we'll cut your head off and send it to your mother.'' ''Well, if that's the way you feel about it, mate,'' said the driver, shrugging his shoulders. ''Your Siamese confederate is very fierce,'' remarked Trooper O'Grady. ''Oh, he's not really,'' said the bushranger. ''He's rather warm and cuddly, usually.'' ''Are there many foreigners in your gang?'' asked the trooper. ''There are seventy-two of us,'' Kat called out. ''And we come from all the countries of the world.'' ''And you're the leader,'' said Trooper O'Grady to the bushranger. ''May I ask your name, so that I can tell the newspapers?'' Certainly. My name is Captain Midnight. What a dreadful name, said the judge with a shiver of terror. You're rather young to be a bushranger, observed Trooper O'Grady. I'm seventeen, said Midnight modestly. Seventeen! Now that is most amazing. You'll go far. Too far for you to find me. At that, Trooper O'Grady laughed aloud, crinkling up his face. What a chap you are, he said admiringly. Midnight blushed under his handkerchief, he was so pleased. Trooper O'Grady was such a nice chap, and just the sort of person Midnight would have liked for his best friend. I'm pretty desperate, he boasted, going red again in the tops of his ears. I'm a plain man, said Trooper O'Grady, and when I like someone, I say so. You're an upstanding, manly young fellow, Midnight, and I like you. Will you let me whisper something as man to man and friend to friend in your ear? It's a word of advice that I wouldn't wish the judge to hear. The trooper bent his head and whispered in Midnight's ear. At the same time, he put his arm around Midnight in the friendliest way. Captain Midnight, sir, Cat called. It's time to go. We shall be late for all our bank robberies. Midnight bowed to the judge, and in one leap sprang to the saddle. Goodbye, he cried, waving his hat to the trooper, and with that he pranced away into the bush, looking extremely bold and dashing. What a vile desperado, snarled Judge Pepper, gnashing his false teeth and shaking his fist after midnight. What a charming idiot! murmured Trooper O'Grady, smiling and smiling. Red Ned galloped and pranced and pranced and galloped until he reached the secret rendezvous where they were to meet Cat and Jip and Major. There, midnight dismounted and lay down to wait in the warm, soft grass. When Cat arrived, he was so angry that he looked a different Cat, his coffee-coloured tail was lashing back and forth like a whip, and his blue eyes were round and glaring. W- "'What's the matter, Cat?' asked Midnight. "'You are the matter. You have no more sense than Dora.' "'But what have I done? Why didn't you rob O'Grady? He was such a nice chap.' "'and you let him put his arm around you, "'and in another second, if I had not called out, "'he would have seized the pistol and arrested you.' "'Cat, you don't know what a nice fellow he is,' said Midnight. "'He was giving me some advice.' "'What advice?' "'He said, beware of pickpockets.' "'What?' "'Beware of pickpockets.' "'That's what he said.' Cat was quiet for a long time. He closed his eyes and sat perfectly still. He held his breath and counted silently to a hundred. Then he said softly, Midnight. Yes, said Midnight. When you robbed the judge, you put the watch and purse into your coat pocket, did you not? Yes, said Midnight. ''Are they there now?'' Midnight felt in his pocket. Then he held it open and looked into it. Then he looked at Jip and Major and Red Ned, and finally he looked at Cat. ''No,'' said Midnight. Cat said nothing at all, but curled up in the grass and pretended to go to sleep. Oh, well, Cat, he's seen such a nice chap,'' cried Midnight. He is a common thief, a common pickpocket, and you, a bush ranger, have let him pick your pocket. I shall never trust a human being again. Don't! And thank heaven in your prayers every night that you have five animals to look after you. For a long time after he was robbed by the trooper, midnight stayed in the Hidden Valley thinking bitter thoughts about human beings. He was so bitter that he did not want to see any human beings ever again, not even to rob them. One day, Cat said to him, You have not been bushranging for nearly two weeks. I'm too bitter. Well, don't sit here sulking. Go out and take your revenge on the human race. How? By robbing them, how else? So midnight began bush-ranging again, and soon he was the terror of Australia. He held up coaches, and he bush-ranged sheep and horses and cattle. His name was in newspapers all over the world, and troopers and soldiers and black trackers roamed everywhere looking for him. But though they searched everywhere, they never found a sign of him. Time went by, and midnight grew more and more famous. Judges and troopers were furious with him. Ladies were falling in love with him. Poets were making up songs about him, and painters were painting pictures of him holding up coaches, with titles like Bailed Up. All the Irish people said that he was Irish, and all the English people said that he was French. The governor's lady said that she believed that Midnight was a duke in disguise, and the president of America said that he knew for a fact that Midnight was a downtrodden peasant spreading his eagle wings. Here's a story to show you how famous Midnight was. One day, in the Hidden Valley, Cat said to Midnight, There's no more jam. The best jam in the colony is made by Mrs. Chiffle. "'I shall go to her house and bush range some,' said Midnight. "'That night he rode to Mrs. Chiffle's gate and left Red Ned in the bush. "'He crept up like a shadow and forced the lock of the pantry door. "'The house was dark, and Mrs. Chiffle, who was a widow and lived all alone, was in bed. "'Midnight struck a match and began to pack Mrs. Chiffle's jam into his saddlebag.' "'whispered Cat, who was keeping watch. "'Someone is coming with a candle.' "'In a flash, Cat had hidden himself, "'but it was too late for midnight. "'He had only time to pull up his handkerchief over his face "'before Mrs. Chiffle came in with a light. "'Mrs. Chiffle looked at Midnight's handkerchief, "'and she knew straight away who he was. "'But instead of screaming, she said, "'Oh, Captain Midnight!' "'Ma'am,' said Midnight, bowing politely, quick hide under my bed there is not a moment to lose the troopers are coming mrs chiffle ran into her bedroom and midnight ran after her and slipped swift as a snake under her bed then mrs chiffle got between the sheets and blew out the candle and went to sleep mrs chiffle was a restless sleeper and every time she turned over the bed went whump, and woke midnight up so that he had a very bad night Several times during the night Cat came in and whispered that there was not a sign of troopers for miles around but Midnight thought that it was best to stay where he was and trust Mrs Chiffle At last towards daybreak he fell into a sound sleep He was wakened by Mrs Chiffle all fresh and smiling and saying "Captain Midnight your breakfast is ready" Midnight was very tired and stiff but Mrs Chiffle cooked the best breakfast in the colony and he soon cheered up again. As he was drinking his coffee, holding up his handkerchief with one hand so that he could get to his mouth, Mrs Chiffle said, Captain Midnight, please to write in my visitor's book. Your visitor's book, ma'am? Midnight was surprised. My visitor's book, said Mrs Chiffle, putting a large book in front of him and giving him pen and ink. So Midnight wrote in the book as follows. Date, 6th of the 6th. 66, name, Captain Midnight, address, The Secret Hideout W.A., remarks, The Underneath of Mrs. Chiffle's bed is remarkably free from dust and fluffy stuff. When she read what Midnight had written, Mrs. Chiffle smiled and then blushed and said, Captain Midnight, I have something to confess to you. Yes, ma'am. There were no troopers here last night. I told you a story. But why, ma'am, asked Midnight, wrinkling his forehead. It has been my lifelong ambition to hide a bush ranger under my bed. Oh, Midnight was not very pleased. Then I wish you'd been satisfied, ma'am, to hide a bush ranger under your bed for ten minutes instead of for ten hours. Forgive me, Captain Midnight. I forgive you, said Midnight, who had enjoyed his breakfast, but I'm not going to give you back your jam. After that, he shook hands politely with Mrs. Chiffle and went off into the bush with his saddlebag full of jam, which he fastened securely to Red Ned's back and the gang dashingly galloped away to the Hidden Valley. By the time midnight had held up a mail coach and bush-rained some jam from Mrs Chiffle, he was known as the Terror of Australia, and his name was in newspapers all over the world. One afternoon, when Queen Victoria was playing croquet in the gardens of one of her palaces with the Prince of Wales and the Prime Minister and the Poet Laureate, she suddenly stopped playing and looked thoughtful. It's hard to tell whether she was losing because she was thoughtful or whether she became thoughtful because she was losing and wanted to change the subject. At any rate, the Queen stopped and said, What is the news of midnight? Nothing new, Mama, said the Prince of Wales. He's ravaging and pillaging the colony, quite as usual. The poet laureate who was poetic, began to say something about Robin Hood. Stuff and nonsense, said the Queen. There will be no Robin Hoods in our reign. The Prime Minister, a very smooth person, murmured. I agree with Her Majesty. This ruffian must be abolished. Is he a ruffian? asked the Prince of Wales. He is said by Mrs Chiffle to be most polite. A prip! "'Posterous woman,' said the Queen crossly, "'taking off her crown and mopping her brow with a priceless handkerchief. "'We are hot and disagreeable, and we shall go and sit in the shade.' "'And she walked away towards a small throne under an immemorial elm tree, "'taking by surprise the three little Maharajas "'who held up the train of her robes when she played games, "'so that they were dragged along behind.' The visitors sat down in the grass and watched as the Queen's giant Nubian slaves fanned her with peacock feathers. When the Queen looked cooler, the Prince of Wales remarked, Maman, I think you're being unjust to midnight. He's only young, after all. And very romantic, said the poet laureate. And you, sir, said the Queen to the Prince, are all so young. And you, sir, she added to the poet laureate, Are "'also romantic, and for these reasons "'Captain Midnight, we suppose, should be forgiven.' "'Ho, ho, ho!' laughed the Prime Minister "'like a waterfall of brilliantine. "'Your Majesty is very quick. "'Dear Prime Minister,' said the Queen fondly, "'what is your opinion of Midnight?' "'He is a danger to property, ma'am. "'He is a revolutionary.' The very money in the Bank of England grows nervous and pale when it's spoken of. Abolish him, ma'am. So we shall, said the Queen with a stern glance. Poet laureate, ring the bell for the postmaster-general. We are going to write a letter. The Queen wrote the letter, and the postmaster-general posted it, and it went away on a beautiful sailing ship called a wool clipper in the direction of the Indian Ocean. After many storms and shipwrecks and mutinies and murders of captains by cannibals on desert islands, the ship arrived at the coast of Western Australia, and the one sailor who had not died of scurvy on the voyage ran with all speed to Government House. The Governor was walking in the garden near the river, wearing a hat with ostrich feathers on it and a gold sword. What is it? he asked the ragged and unhealthy-looking sailor as he languidly took a pinch of snuff. A letter from Her Majesty, (laughs) said the sailor, and with a loyal smile he dropped dead. The governor read the Queen's letter and turned pale as he read. This is what it said. The Tower of London, 4th of July, 1866, Sir... It is with feelings of anger and dismay that we read daily in our loyal times of the liberties taken by orrid Captain Midnight with the people, horses, cattle, sheep, and money of our beloved colony. It is our will and pleasure that Midnight be abolished on receipt of our letter. If this is not done, we shall have no choice... But, to withdraw our patronage, yours, etc victoria are heavens groaned the governor as he paced back and forth, I shall lose my house and my job, and all because of midnight. Just then he saw a long, thin, smiling man walking towards him. The man stopped and saluted very politely, and the Governor said to himself. "'What a nice-looking chap!' True O'Grady, Your Excellency,' said the man. "'At your service!' "'I am delighted to see you,' said the Governor. "'I have just had a threatening letter from the Queen.' "'Oh, how did it leave Her Majesty?' "'Very cross,' said the Governor. "'Her Majesty insists that Midnight be abolished immediately.' The trooper sucked in his cheeks and gave a low whistle. It will not be easy, he said, shaking his head. It is impossible, sighed the governor. The man is a demon, a mastermind. I think you will soon have a new governor, Trooper O'Grady. Your Excellency, said Trooper O'Grady with his nicest smile. Be a man, sir. Don't give way to despair, sir. With skill and courage, even Midnight himself can be outwitted. Do you think so? exclaimed the Governor eagerly. Thank you for those bold words, Trooper O'Grady. Your Excellency, the Trooper took off his hat in an important manner. I will swear an oath, here in your presence, until Midnight is captured, I shall not rest. I'll be like the Bloodhound, sir. I'll be like the Hawk, sir. "'That man will be captured, sir, or my name is not O'Grady.' "'The governor, who did not know that O'Grady's name was really Murphy, "'cheered up tremendously at this fighting speech and cried, "'Spoken like a man. Shake hands, O'Grady.' "'Thank you, sir,' said O'Grady, wringing the governor's hand most heartily. "'I shall leave today, sir. You will hear good news from me before long.' "'Good luck and Godspeed,' said the governor, shaking hands again. The best wishes of the empire go with you. Then O'Grady bowed, put on his hat, and went away with a firm step to have a glass of beer, leaving the governor staring at his right hand and wondering what had become of the ring that was usually on it. One day, midnight, sent Jip to Mrs Chiffle's house to borrow a cup of sugar, and when Jip came back, He had a letter in his collar. Midnight opened it, and this is what he read. Mrs. Tiffle requests the pleasure of Captain Midnight's company at dinner on Friday the 13th of October at five o'clock. Midnight had never been out to dinner, and he was rather curious to know what a dinner party was like. But at the same time, he saw that it might be dangerous. After talking over the matter with Cat, he wrote the following reply. Captain Midnight has much pleasure in accepting Mrs. Chiffle's invitation for October the 13th, but begs to inform Mrs. Chiffle that if this is a trap, then Captain Midnight's ferocious Siamese confederate will boil Mrs. Chiffle in oil and send her skeleton to the museum. Midnight gave this letter to Major, who flew away with it, to Mrs. Chiffle.